on to Blazing History, where we are blazing through history one week at a time. Facebook.com slash Blazing Shows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N Shows. Same with Twitter. And my brand new website. Go check it out. BlazingShows.com. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N Shows.com. Hope you've had a good weekend at all as well as March is Women's History Month. And I had the great honor of being able to pull three great speeches from women in history. We're going to start in reverse chronological order. So that means going from most recent to earliest. In 2012, Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard delivered a speech on the parliamentary floor on misogyny. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker, and I rise to oppose the motion moved by the Leader of the Opposition. And in so doing, I say to the Leader of the Opposition, I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. And the Government will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. Not now, not ever. The Leader of the Opposition says that people who hold sexist views and who are misogynists are not appropriate for high office. Well, I hope the Leader of the Opposition has got a piece of paper and he is writing out his resignation. Because if he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. That's what he needs. Let's go through the Opposition Leader's repulsive double standards double standards when it comes to misogyny and sexism. We are now supposed to take seriously that the Leader of the Opposition is offended by Mr Slipper's text messages. When this is the Leader of the Opposition who has said, and this was when he was a minister under the last government, not when he was a student, not when he was in high school, when he was a minister under the last government. He has said, and I quote, in a discussion about uh, women being underrepresented in institutions of power in Australia, the interviewer was a man called Stavros. The Leader of the Opposition says, if it's true, Stavros, that men have more power, generally speaking, than women, is that a bad thing? <laughs> and then a discussion ensues and another person being interviewed says, I want my daughter to have as much opportunity as my son. To which the Leader of the Opposition says, yeah, I completely agree, but what if men are by physiology or temperament more adapted to exercise authority or to issue command? Then uh, ensues another discussion about women's role in modern society and the uh, other person participating in the discussion says, I think it's very hard to deny that there is an underrepresentation of women, to which the Leader of the Opposition says, but now there's an assumption that this is a bad thing. This is the man from whom we're supposed to take lectures about sexism. And then, of course, it goes on. I was very offended personally when the Leader of the Opposition, as Minister for Health, said, and I quote, abortion is the easy way out. 
I was very personally offended by those comments. You said that in March 2004. I suggest you check the records. I was also very offended on behalf of the women of Australia when, in the course of uh, uh, this uh, carbon pricing campaign, the Leader of the Opposition said, when the housewives of Australia need to do what the housewives of Australia need to understand as they do the ironing. Thank you for that painting of women's roles in modern Australia. And then, of course, I was offended too by the sexism, by the misogyny of the Leader of the Opposition catcalling across this table at me as I sit here as Prime Minister. If the Prime Minister wants to, politically speaking, make an honest woman of herself, something that would never have been said to any man sitting in this chair. I was offended when the Leader of the Opposition went outside in the front of Parliament and stood next to a sign that said, Ditch the Witch. I was offended when the Leader of the Opposition stood next to a sign that described me as a man's bitch. I was offended by those things. Misogyny, sexism, every day from this Leader of the Opposition, every day in every way, across the time the Leader of the Opposition has sat in that chair and I've sat in this chair, that is all we have heard from him. And now the Leader of the Opposition wants to be taken seriously. Apparently he's woken up after this track record and all of these statements. He's woken up and he's gone, oh dear, there's this thing called sexism. Oh my Lord, there's this thing called misogyny. Now who's one of them? Oh, the Speaker must be because that suits my political purpose doesn't turn a hair about any of his past statements, doesn't walk into this parliament and apologise to the women of Australia, doesn't walk into this parliament and apologise to me for the things that have come out of his mouth, but now seeks to use this as a battering ram against someone else. Well, this kind of hypocrisy should not be tolerated, which is why this motion from the Leader of the Opposition should not be taken seriously. And then second, the Leader of the Opposition is always wonderful about walking into this parliament and giving me and others a lecture about what they should take responsibility for. Always wonderful about that. Everything that I should take responsibility for, now apparently including uh, the text messages of the member for Fisher. Always keen to say others should assume responsibility, particularly me. Well, can anybody remind me if the Leader of the Opposition has taken any responsibility for the conduct of the Sydney Young Liberals and the attendance at this event of members of his front bench? Has he taken any responsibility for the conduct of members of his political party and members of his front bench, who apparently, when the most vile things were being said about my family, raised no voice of objection? No one walked out of the room. No one walked up to Mr Jones and said that this was not acceptable. Instead, of course, it was all viewed as good fun until it was run in a Sunday newspaper and then the Leader of the Opposition and others started ducking for cover. Big on lectures of responsibility, very light on accepting responsibility himself for the vile conduct of members of his political party. Third, Ms Deputy Speaker, why the Leader of the Opposition should not be taken seriously on this motion. The Leader of the Opposition and the Deputy Leader of the Opposition have come into this place and have talked about the member for Fisher. 
Well, let me remind the opposition and the Leader of the Opposition particularly about their track record and association with the member for Fisher. I remind them that the National Party pre-selected the member for Fisher for the 1984 election, that the National Party pre-selected the member for Fisher for the 1987 election, that the Liberal Party pre-selected Mr Fisher for the 1993 election, then for the 96 election, then for the 98 election, then for the 2001 election, then for the 2004 election, then for the 2007 election and then for the 2010 election. And across many of those pre-selections, Mr Slipper enjoyed the personal support of the Leader of the Opposition. I remind the Leader of the Opposition that on the 28th of September 2010, following the last election campaign, when Mr Slipper was elected as Deputy Speaker, the Leader of the, the Opposition— the Leader of the Opposition at that stage said this, and I quote, he referred to the member for Maranoa, who was also elected to a position at the same time, and then went on as follows. And the member for Fisher will serve as a fine compliment to the member for Scullin in the chair. I believe that the parliament will be well served by the team which will occupy the chair in this chamber. I congratulate the member for Fisher, who has been a friend of mine for a very long time, who has served this parliament in many capacities with distinction. The words of the Leader of the Opposition on record about his personal friendship with Mr Slipper and on record about his view about Mr Slipper's qualities and attributes to be the Speaker. No walking away from those words. They were the statement of the Leader of the Opposition then. I remind the Leader of the Opposition, who now comes in here and speaks about Mr Slipper and apparently his inability uh, to work with or talk to Mr Slipper, I remind the Leader of the Opposition he attended Mr Slipper's wedding. Did he walk up to Mr Slipper in the middle of the service and say he was disgusted to be there? Was that the attitude he took? No, he attended that wedding as a friend. The Leader of the Opposition keen to lecture others about what they ought to know or did know about Mr Slipper. Well, with respect, I'd say to the Leader of the Opposition, after a long personal association, including attending Mr Slipper's wedding, it would be interesting to know whether the Leader of the Opposition was surprised by these text messages. He's certainly in a position to speak more intimately about Mr Slipper than I am and many other people in this parliament, given this long personal association. Then of, course, uh, then, of course, the Leader of the Opposition uh, comes into this place and says, and I quote, and says, and I quote, every day the Prime Minister stands in this parliament to defend this speaker will be another day of shame for this parliament, another day of shame for a government which should already have died of shame. Well, where's that phrase? Well, can I indicate to the Leader of the Opposition the government is not dying of shame. My father did not die of shame. What the Leader of the Opposition should be ashamed of is his performance in this parliament and the sexism he brings with it. Now, about the text messages that are on the public record or reported in the— That's a direct quote from the Leader of the Opposition, so I suggest those groaning have a word with him. Uh, now, on the uh, conduct of Mr Slipper 
and on the uh, text messages that are in the public domain. I have seen the press reports of those text messages. I am offended by their content. I am offended by their content because I am always offended by sexism. I am offended by their content because I am always offended by statements that are anti-women. I am offended by those things in the same way that I have been offended by things that the Leader of the Opposition has said and no doubt uh, will continue to say in the future, because if this today was an exhibition of his new feminine side, well, I don't think we've got much to look forward to in terms of change conduct. I am offended by those text messages. But I also believe, in terms of this parliament making a decision about the speakership, that this parliament should recognise that there is a court case in progress, that the judge has reserved his decision that having waited for a number of months for the legal matters surrounding Mr Slipper uh, to come to a conclusion, that this parliament should see that conclusion. I believe that is the appropriate path forward and that people will then have an opportunity to make up their minds with the fullest information available to them. But whenever people make up their minds about those questions, what I won't stand for, what I will never stand for, is the Leader of the Opposition coming into this place and peddling a double standard, peddling a standard for Mr Slipper he would not set for himself, peddling a standard for Mr Slipper he has not set for other members of his front bench, peddling a standard for Mr Slipper that has not been acquitted by the people who have been sent out to say the vilest and most revolting things like his former shadow parliamentary secretary. Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard. We move on to 1993. Maya Angelou in her Pulse of the Morning poem performance at President Bill Clinton's inauguration. Mr. President and Mrs. Clinton, Mr. Vice President and Mrs. Gore, and Americans everywhere. A rock a river, a tree, hosts to species long since departed, marked the mastodon, the dinosaur, who left dry tokens of their sojourn here on our planet floor. Any broad alarm of their hastening doom is lost in the gloom of dust and ages. But today, the rock cries out to us clearly, forcefully, come, you may stand upon my back and face your distant destiny, but seek no haven in my shadow. I will give you no hiding place down here. You, created only a little lower than the angels, have crouched too long in the bruising darkness have lain too long face down in ignorance, your mouths spilling words armed for slaughter. The rock cries out to us today, you may stand upon me, but do not hide your face. Across the wall of the world, a river sings a beautiful song. It says, come, rest here by my side. Each of you, a bordered country, delicate and strangely made, proud, yet thrusting perpetually 
under siege. Your armed struggles for profit have left collars of waste upon my shore, currents of debris upon my breast. Yet today, I call you to my riverside, if you will study war no more. Come, clad in peace, and I will sing the songs the Creator gave to me when I and the tree and the rock were one, before cynicism was a bloody seer across your brow, and when you yet knew, you still knew nothing. The river sang and sings on. There is a true yearning to respond to the singing river and the wise rock. So say the Asian, the Hispanic, the Jew, the African, the Native American, the Sioux, the Catholic, the Muslim, the French, the Greek, the Irish, the rabbi, the priest, the sheikh, the gay, the straight, the preacher, the privileged, the homeless, the teacher, they all hear the speaking of the tree. They hear the first and last of every tree speak to humankind today. Come to me here beside the river. Plant yourself beside the river. Each of you, descendant of some past on traveler, has been paid for. You who gave me my first name. You, Pawnee, Apache, Seneca. You, Cherokee Nation who rested with me, then forced on bloody feet, left me to the employment of other seekers, desperate for gain, starving for gold. You, the Turk, the Arab, the Swede, the German, the Eskimo, the Scots. You, the Ashanti, the Yoruba, the crew, bought, sold, stolen, arriving on a nightmare, praying for a dream. Here, root yourselves beside me. I am that tree planted by the river which will not be moved. I the rock, I the river, I the tree, I am yours. Your passages have been paid. Lift up your faces. You have a piercing need for this bright morning dawning for you. History, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be unlived. But if faced with courage, need not be lived again. Lift up your eyes upon this day breaking for you. Give birth again to the dream. Women, children, men, take it into the palms of your hands. Mold it into the shape of your most private need. Sculpt it into the image of your most public self. Lift up your heart. Each new hour holds new chances for new beginnings. Do not be wedded forever to fear yoked eternally to brutishness, the horizon leans forward, offering you space to place new steps of change. Here, on the pulse of this fine day, you may have the courage to look up and out and upon me, the rock, the river, the tree, your country, no less to Midas than the mendicant, no less to you now than the mastodon then. Here, on the pulse of this new day, you may have the grace to look up and out and into your sister's eyes and into your brother's face, your country, and say simply, very simply, with hope, good morning.
And it's Maya Angelou, the late Maya Angelou, talking about or reading the pulse of the morning from President Bill Clinton's inauguration from 1993. Now we wrap it up from a 12-year-old at the UN World Summit in Rio de Janeiro from 1992. That 12-year-old was Severin Suzuki. Hello, I'm Severin Suzuki speaking for ECHO, the Environmental Children's Organization. We're a group of 12 and 13-year-olds trying to make a difference. Vanessa Setti, Morgan Geisler, Michelle Quigg, and me. We've raised all the money to come here ourselves, to come 5,000 miles to tell you adults you must change your ways. Coming up here today, I have no hidden agenda. I am fighting for my future. Losing my future is not like losing an election or a few points on the stock market. I am here to speak for all generations to come. I am here to speak speak on behalf of the starving children around the world whose cries go unheard. I am here to speak for the countless animals dying across this planet because they have nowhere left to go. I am afraid to go out in the sun now because of the holes in our ozone. I am afraid to breathe the air because I don't know what chemicals are in it. I used to go in I used to go fishing in Vancouver, my home, with my dad, until just a few years ago we found the fish full of cancers. And now we hear of animals and plants going extinct every day, vanishing forever. In my life, I have dreamt of seeing the great herds of wild animals, jungles and rainforests full of birds and butterflies, but now I wonder if they will even exist for my children to see. Did you have to worry of these things when you were my age? All this is happening before our eyes and yet we act as if we have all the time we want and all the solutions. I'm only a child and I don't have all the solutions. But I know, I want you to realize neither do you. You don't know how to fix the holes in our ozone layer. You don't know how to bring the salmon back up in a dead stream. You don't know how to bring back an animal now extinct. And you can't bring back the forest that once grew where there is now a desert. If you don't know how to fix it, please stop breaking it. Here, you may be delegates of your government, business people, organizers, reporters, or politicians, but really, your mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, aunts and uncles, and all of you are someone's child. I'm only a child, yet I know we are all part of a family, five billion strong, in fact, 30 million species strong, and borders and governments will never change that. I'm only a child, yet I know we are all in this together, and should act as one single world towards one single goal. In, in my anger, I am not blind, and in my fear, I am not afraid of telling the world how I feel. In my country, you make so much waste. We buy and throw away, buy and throw away. 
buy and throw away, and yet northern countries will not share with the needy. Even when we have more than enough, we are afraid to share. We are afraid to let go of some of our wealth. In Canada, we live the privileged life with plenty of food, water, and shelter. We have watches, bicycles, computers, and television sets. The list could go on for two days. Two days ago here in Brazil, we were shocked when we spent time with some children living on the streets. This is what one child told us. I wish I was rich. And if I were, I would give all the street children food, clothes, medicines, shelter, and love and affection. If a child on the streets who has nothing is willing to share, why are we who have everything still so greedy? I can't stop thinking that these are children my own age, that it makes a tremendous difference where you are born, that I could be one of those children living in the favelas of Rio. I could be a child starving in Somalia, or a victim of war in the Middle East, or a beggar in India. I am only a child, yet I know if all the money spent on war was spent on finding environmental answers, ending poverty, and finding treaties, what a wonderful place this earth would be. At school, even in kindergarten, you teach us how to behave in the world. You teach us to not to fight with others, to work things out, to respect others, to clean up our mess, not to hurt other creatures, to share, not be greedy. Then why do you go out and do the, uh, do the things you tell us not to do? Do not forget why you are attending these conferences, who you're doing this for. We are your own children. You are deciding what kind of a world we are growing up in. Parents should be able to comfort their children by saying, everything's going to be all right. It's not the end of the world. And we're, and we're doing the best we can. But I don't think you can say that to us anymore. Are we even on your list of priorities? My dad always says, you are what you do, not what you say. Well, what you do makes me cry at night. You grown-ups say you love us. But I challenge you, please, make your actions reflect your words. Thank you. What a performance, especially from a child. As we put a bow on our show, and thank you for listening to our Women's History presentation. I'll be back next week. That's all the time we have. Thanks for listening to Blazing History, blazing through history one week at a time. What do you think? Let me know at facebook.com slash shows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N shows. On Twitter at Blazing Shows. Or email me, shows at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts or on my website, blazingshows.com. If you can, please consider making a donation to ensure we can bring you a fully accessible podcast. To quote the late Franklin D. Roosevelt, The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. 
Take care of yourself, and we'll talk again next week. On Blazing History, I'm Blaze Bryant.